You're listening to Sound the Foghorn, the Minnesota Wild podcast made by fans for fans. For Kaprizov, back to Zuccarello, back to Kaprizov, he scores! Covering team news, prospect analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, advanced stats, and much more. Back to Kaprizov, he scores! And now, here are your hosts, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Baki. Hello and welcome in to another episode of Sound the Foghorn. Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Baki coming at you today for another episode. Uh, we have a great show on tap today. We're going to be diving in to the 2022 NHL Entry Draft, covering some prospects we like for the Wild, talking about just kind of the approach the Wild may take to the draft, some things to consider moving in. We have a great guest um, that will be joining us for that conversation as well who we'll introduce here in just a minute, but we got to check in on everyone here. Um, it's only been like five days since we last chatted, so a lot could have happened since then. Uh, but, Justin, how was the uh, how was the 4th of July holiday, and, and how you feeling tonight? Pretty good, man. It's uh, my busy work week. Fourth uh, of July was good. Just kind of hung out with family and now excited for <clears throat> this, what I consider holiday to me is uh, draft week. So pretty pumped about this show and uh, the guests that we're going to introduce. I think everyone's going to love the show. Yeah, I sure hope so. Zeke, what about you? Yeah, no, not much. Just uh, just hung out here at home with family, had a few steaks and, and some stuff for dinner yesterday, which is nice, but pretty low key. And uh, yeah, I'm doing good today. I got my pre-show coffee in about an hour and a half ago so i'm uh, wide awake and uh, ready to go i like justin said it's always uh this is always one of the most uh, fun shows that we do every year so it should be great yeah it absolutely is uh this is basically kind of the last day of my four-day weekend so um i feel like this is a good way to kind of go into to a very brief two and a half day work week to get this show done and to have hopefully something in the feeds that you'll find value in uh, heading into thursday uh, so without any further ado, let's jump right into things and introduce our guest. All right, and we are very excited to welcome to Sound the Foghorn for the very first time, Byron Bader of HockeyProspecting.com, prospect model extraordinaire. Byron, we're thrilled to have you on the show. Welcome. How you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Yeah, just uh, getting ready for the draft here coming up in a couple days. Making sure I got the site all ready to go and there's no... No errors or mistakes with it. I always hate those. So I think we're all set, though. So now I'm just, yeah, ready ready for the draft. Yeah, now it's all that hard work kind of coming to be and and seeing if, you know, how the model stacks up against the actual draft board, right? Yeah, it, I mean, I, <laughs> the best players essentially in the model never are the ones that are drafted first. That's always the fun of it. So I'm sure that won't happen this year, too. Yeah, it always uh, so it, it does seem to it. favor the wild players though, which we always like to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So exactly. So Byron, just to kind of give our listeners a little bit better idea of kind of who you are and where you come from, tell us a little bit first just how you kind of got into the prospect sphere in general and kind of the development of your model and kind of what that does now and and how you're able to show that visually um, to people, kind of primarily through your website and then of course through Twitter as well. Yeah. So I mean, it started. I mean the the realm of getting into you know advanced stats with 
with hockey specifically, like I've always been a massive hockey fan. I'm from Calgary, so I've kind of grown up a Flames fan. And probably, I don't know, about 10 years ago now almost, I started writing for Flames Nation, just talking about different stuff and kind of bringing in numbers. I mean, I'm like an analytics professional by trade, so I've always kind of had that numbers background. So I was just like looking at different stuff, mostly related to Flames prospects and that type of thing. And then... You know, I wasn't I wasn't super into prospects in the draft at that point, but I, I started to it really kind of started to hit basically like when we drafted Johnny Gaudreau and watching him just hit college and he started to make these massive jumps and everybody was talking about him, talking about this little tiny guy that was just producing like crazy in college. So I started to look at, you know, what he looked like and basically using this NHL equivalency thing, which basically takes you know, all these different leagues are all different in terms of how the scoring relates to the NHL. And so there's, you know, theoretically about 50 different leagues that they can come from. And then once you kind of normalize it, you kind of get this this one standardized score out of it. So I was basically looking at his equivalency and he had this sky high equivalency like in his last year in college because he was like a two point per game player in college. And I was like, you know, everybody's psyched about this guy. Everybody's thinks this guy is going to be the next superstar. And sure enough, that's exactly what he ends up being. And so I was wondering, like, how often is it that a player looks like that, that has this, like, extraordinary equivalency? So that's kind of where it started because it didn't really exist. I dug around the internet figuring that obviously this would be somewhere, and it was not at all. Like, there's nothing close. Um, so then I kind of started looking at it and started to just look at like the superstars and they, you know, before they hit the NHL, they tend to have these really high equivalencies. And then I kind of broke it down and started looking at like, you know, the first round for the past 10 years. And sure enough, like the ones that had the, the kind of higher marks, they were the ones that turned into these, these stars and these superstars. And then the ones that had these kind of like middling numbers, especially going into the draft and stuff, they are the ones that often, didn't work out in anything. So I just kind of kept on, I guess, going with this exercise, you know, and then I, you know, went back, looked at the first round for like the first 20 years, the last 20 years, and then grabbed the second round. And then I grabbed all the rounds. And, and basically it, the data just came out like really clear. Like there's these certain patterns and these certain archetypes that are indicative of, you know, a player that makes the NHL and becomes a superstar or a star, or even a player that, that, tends to make the NHL versus the ones that bust out. And it's a very clear, you know, there's a couple different patterns and it, you know, looks a little bit different from forwards and defensemen. But when you go back, you know, my model goes back all the way to 1990. So it goes back basically over three decades now. And that pattern is always sort of there. And, it, you know, you kind of error adjust everything and adjust the numbers, but those patterns are always sort of there of, of what a star is and, and what an NHLer is typically. So that's kind of how it came to be. And then, you know, slowly started working on it. And then, you know, at the time I had a really small following on Twitter. I think I had like, I don't know, 200 people or something that followed me. And I was just kind of talking about stuff and, you know, I'd get a couple likes, but it started to kind of pick up. And then I started to basically build out a predictive model, you know, looking back and, and taking this data and then kind of following the player for five years and seeing how they sort of move through these different equivalencies and what happens. And then, yeah, once I started to do that, like, interest really started to pick up and people were really intrigued by it. It wasn't really something that existed. I mean, the idea of the NHLE was out there. Um, but this idea of, of looking at sort of patterns and what 
players were doing didn't really exist. So yeah, that's, that's how it kind of started. And then slowly built from there and, you know, um, worked with some teams doing some draft consulting and that type of thing um, in some, you know, minor, minor roles. And then, yeah, I decided to build the website and, and that's kind of where I am now. Awesome. So since you've kind of started um, really implementing the model, has there been any players that, you know, you kind of said, hey, I told you so. My model kind of saw this player that you've seen maybe in the last like three to five years that maybe the consensus going into the draft from the quote unquote experts maybe wasn't as high, but your model said, hey, this is a guy to look out for. Has there been anyone like that that's really popped kind of recently? Uh, maybe that kind of, you know, gave that affirmation that, hey, my, my model's doing here might really be working. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess before I officially had a model, but I kind of had, you know, a framework that there was something here, um, but I didn't have an official predictive model, I guess, was as early as I'd say 2016. And so I was looking at, I mean, Matthew Kachuk, I was kind of, everybody was talking about him kind of going like six, seven type thing. But I was like, this guy should be like a top three pick. Like players don't often look like this. Like he should be up there and, and so that was, I mean, that's a little bit of a step up, but then, you know, Alex Dabrinkat looked the exact same, but he mm-hmm. was being sort of relegated down because he's tiny. And I was saying, you know, this guy should be a top 10, top 15 pick. Same thing with Sam Girard that year. And, all, you know, both those guys were kind of considered maybe a late first or a second, and sure enough, that's where they end up going. So those are kind of the, the early successes, I would say, are those two. And then in terms of actually having, like, an official predictive model, we're probably looking more towards, like, 2018, 2019, you know, Quinn Hughes obviously jumped off the page to me. He, you know, had the number profile of somebody who should go top three, and he ends up going whenever it was, seventh, I think. Um, you know, a guy that you guys are very familiar with, um, Matt Boldy, he was he was one that wasn't really talked about a whole lot. And, you know, looking at him, he's 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 got this really good profile in the model. He's got really good production in his pre-draft year and his draft year, and he's – quite young too, born in April, I think. And he had this, you know, he had a really good looking profile in the model and, you know, he kind of goes in the mid teens and everybody's like, yeah, that's, you know, that's fair for that pick. But he, he kind of looked like he probably could have been a top 10 pick to me, especially with some of the players that did go in front of him, you know, players that, you know, will probably be NHLers, but they probably won't have that same star potential as Boldy, like a guy like put, put Coles in, you know, probably has a long NHL career, but it's going to be more of a kind of depth role, um maybe he's kind of like an analytics darling but he's not probably going to have that that real star potential that it looks like boldy has so that's some of the ones that have kind of hit on you know early on i guess the last three to five years all right well i think you've got our listeners sold now on that your model said matt boldy would be great and we just gotta of course finish up uh watching his rookie year where we were nothing short of impressed and we're excited to see what he can continue to bring um, and I think that's a nice transition here into kind of what we want to get to for the meat and potatoes of today's show, and that's coming up um, on the 2022 NHL draft, which obviously kicks off um, just about a day and a half here, about uh, probably about this time. It'll be just under 48 hours away um, with the first round in Montreal on Thursday evening. So we have a list of guys that we kind of want to get through, but just to kind of set the stage here uh, for the listeners as to kind of what you know the Wilds draft situation looks like heading into this year. Um, So for those that do not know, they have two first-round picks, uh, pick 19 as well as pick 24. Um, And then rounding out, they have second-round picks at 47 and 56, the 89th pick in the the third round, excuse me, and then also picks at 121, 153, and 185. 
Um, we often hear the discussion of taking the best player available, which it seems kind of the wild of a history of doing that, especially under Judd Brackett and Bill Guerin. But the one thing I am uh, very curious about moving forward, um, with the recent addition of Brock Faber coming over in the Kevin Fiala trade, they now have seven, maybe eight, depending on where you project the ceilings of some of these guys, uh, for prospects at the defensive position. So Kalen Addison, Carson Lambos, Brock Faber, Jack Pert, Ryan O'Rourke, Damon Hunt, Simon Johansson, and then uh, Kyle Masters. So to me, what my gut says is that you know, with two picks, this might be the time the Wild maybe, you know, maybe go a little bit away from that best player available um, and maybe do look at drafting a forward or maybe they package some, of the, you know, one of those defensemen and one of those first to maybe move up um, a little bit in the draft and maybe really look at adding a forward um, as there really isn't, you know, there's some decent players in there right now, Adam Beckman, Rat Huznadinov, um, of course, Marco Rossi, but kind of beyond those three, I don't think there's really a, a forward that really pops off the, the table for me, so a good chance for them um, to maybe go and look at one of those types of players. Justin, Zeke, before we get too much into the players, um, is that a sentiment you guys would agree with um, or disagree with and you think they might just continue to b build from position to strength now, which is defense? Well, I mean, I think it's it's tough. I think I would definitely lean that way, Brett, in that, you know, they obviously with Matt Boldy graduating to the NHL, you know, like you said, there are a couple nice guys in there, but none that are really on the forward side that maybe project as, you know, highly is maybe more than like a middle six kind of scoring winger type guy. But, you know, I think it, you know, obviously depends where I'm not in the room, but I, you know, I remember, you know, I think it was Russo yesterday on his podcast with Planta was going out the, you know, he thinks there might be a mentality of, uh, you, you know, just, I mean, maybe it's just in general prospects, but stockpiling there on D and that, you know, sometimes some people have the idea you can never have too many guys in defense, but no, I think I, I agree in most part. I mean, like you said, they, you know, you know, on D, even on D, they don't have like the bona fide guy who's going to be like a top pairing guy. But as you mentioned, they, uh, they certainly have plenty. So yeah, no, I, um, I, I definitely agree that they probably should, uh, you know, focus on forward, uh, especially where you know they're going to be picking in the draft. You know, a lot of the D usually tend to get picked kind of in a run earlier there. So, Justin, anything to yeah. add there? <clears throat> not really anything that I, I just I personally think they'll go forward winger or center just because you know we have so many D maybe if someone like you know Matej Chuck falls to us in my opinion you know kind of go for that and then trade from position of strength but overall I've been targeting guys that are like forward so I think we'll go forward because outside of Rossi and Beckman you know guys like Hovanov didn't haven't turned out like we maybe wanted them to so uh, I, I think they'll go forward. Yeah. And the other piece that I'm really curious, not just from a wild perspective, but kind of from an every team perspective, um, is there's some pretty high end Russian players in this draft. And obviously we know uh, the political climate around Russia right now with the with the war in Ukraine. Um, we know the, the government is already starting to, you know, kind of go after some younger Russian players. who are trying to come over to the United States to play hockey. Um, so I do wonder if, you know, there's the potential of, you know, teams just saying, nope, we're not going to draft Russian players, even if, you know, that player might be the best player available on the board. Um, one thing that, you know, maybe counteracts that if a team does have two picks, you know, like the Wild do, do you maybe swing for the fences on one of those Russian players if they fall to you at 19 or 24 and then maybe grab a safer pick with your other pick? Um, so I'm really curious to see how that plays out, if teams take that swing or not. Um, Byron, I kind of love to hear your thoughts on that to see, you know, anything we've talked about so far with kind of where the wild strength of their prospect pool lies. And also just, you know, I think the Russian prospects will be interesting to watch here as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think 
Um, yeah, they're kind of, they have quite a few D prospects. So, you know, outside of Rossi essentially is the big kind of likely or hopefully likely star piece. It's a lot of, you know, middle six potential with their forward. So yeah, it's, I certainly think that, you know, at least one of those picks is going to be a forward for sure. And yeah, the Russian situation, there's, you know, there's essentially three or four Russians that probably, or maybe even more, well, I guess five, if you include Mintikov, um, but, um, but uh, yeah, like, Typically, you probably see all of them go in the first round, but now you're going to probably see at least a few of them drop out of the first round, um, and you know maybe even all of them. Like who knows? Because you know I think we're going to get into it here soon. But like a guy like Yurov is like typically like a top five, top ten pick, but he's gonna he's gonna drop back. You know he probably doesn't make out of the first round, but then you know you have all those other guys so yeah it's going to be really interesting what happens in terms of the the russian component especially this year like does it go back to you know that period in the early 90s and the 80s where even these really high profile russians or these really high producing russians aren't going to like at least like the fourth or fifth round does it turn into that or is it sort of something in the middle where maybe they drop to the second round or you know do they drop back maybe five spots or something, but then, mm-hmm. you know, a team just can't resist and, and kind of jumps in on them. So it'll be pretty interesting to see what happens. Yeah, for sure. One of the storylines I'm most excited to follow. Um, and the last piece that I just kind of wanted to mention as I was just kind of thinking back to, you know, I'm always trying to get in the heads of Garen and, and Judd Brack to see what they might do. And one thing that would not shock me is they do have an affinity for two, for players that play in two particular areas. And that's the state of Minnesota and the WHL. Um, since Garrett and Brackett have kind of both been in charge of things, they have acquired either through trade or the draft Brock Faber, Jack Pert, Kyle Masters, Damon Hunt, Kalen Addison, Carson Lambos, Caden Bankier, Josh Pilar, and Pavel Novak. So 10 players that either have played hockey in Minnesota in some capacity, whether the high school or collegiate level, um, or have played their junior hockey in the WHL. So clearly an area they have lots of scouts that they feel confident in those picks. Um, so I'm, I would not shock me if they maybe go that route again um, and maybe grab a player, whether that's the first, second, third, or fourth round or whatever, um, who knows. But um, definitely something I, I would probably bet money on if I could, that they take a player from one of those two areas. Yeah. And, I mean, I think, uh, you know, good transition from there, you know, is a guy that I think Justin might have mentioned uh, in Denton Matejchuk uh, from the WHL who, I think it was our, you know, Tony over at the 10K ranks did an article, you know, kind of saying, obviously he's been teammates with, you know, wild prospect Damon Hunt. They've played together a lot. And, uh, you know, Byron, based off your model, you've had him or had him ranked uh, fifth in your draft year. I mean, not in, like you said, 64.65 games is really great. But uh, what does he kind of just overall look like uh, in the model? And uh, just, you know, with the big production D, like, is he, you know, uh, I've seen concerned about his size and maybe his defense vacuum, I mean, like a lot of guys that age. But uh, does he does he really? Do you think has that chance based off his, you know, based off past history? Does he look like a guy who could be a, you know, uh, in a sense maybe a bit of a steal if he gets past, you know, into the twenty ish? Oh, I think for sure. I mean, even past, yeah, mm-hmm. even past like pick ten or fifteen, like really yeah. good value at that point, like players that look like this, like he had really, 
you know, elite level production for defensemen. Once you, again, once you kind of normalize everything, take their equivalency and everything's on the same level playing field in his pre-draft year and his draft year. Um, there's not that many players like over the course of, you know, the last 30 years or so, there's probably only about 10 players that kind of look like this and, you know, three out of five of them, four out of five of them sort of turn into these stars that, you know, my model's kind of looking for, which is essentially like a outlier offensive point producer. Um, so, yeah, I certainly think he would be great value at, what is it, pick 19? I mean, I think that would be a steal. I mean, you know, if he's a couple inches taller, like he's probably considered an easy top 10 pick, but he's, you know, he's not that short, but he's, I think he's 5'10 or 5'11 or something like that. But, you know, that's probably dropping him back a bit. Um, but yeah, I think he's, he's huge value there. Um, you get a lot of stars from the ones that look like that, although it is a pretty rare profile, but I mean, that's basically what the, the model is, is, is picking up on these kind of outlier guys and looking at how often they kind of come to be or, or come up in a draft and it's not all that often. So I think he would be really good value at that pick for sure. Justin, did you have anything you wanted to add there? No, nothing uh, really add about Matej Chuck. You okay if I move on to another guy? Yeah, let's do it. It it kind of feeds into what you're talking about, the WHL Minnesota thing. It's a guy that I've kind of been uh, following for a couple of years because I run a UMD Pipelines page too. It's Isaac Howard. Um, I mean, he had a strong World Junior Classic, played at Shattuck, we all know. Uh, Committed to UMD, skating and shooting are above average, and, uh, you know, he may be able to rifle passes better than anyone in the draft. Uh, Looks like hockey prospecting has him at 15. I've seen elite prospects have him at 41. That's a guy that I've kind of been eyeing and excited about in this draft. Yeah, he's a guy. Go ahead, bye, Aaron. Um, To me, like, he's – He's really underrated, I would say, like the way he looks like, you know, he kind of, he he looks very similar, I would say, to a guy like Matthew Boldy, you know, he's not quite the same height, and he's a bit older, but not by much, like he's like, I don't know, six weeks older or something like that, Mm -hmm. so he's kind of on the fringe of, of, you know, an older prospect and a younger prospect, which Boldy was kind of as well, sort of that that early spring, but I mean, yeah, his production in the national development program in his pre-draft year and his draft year were like, you know, basically in like the 95th, 99th percentile in both years. Um, yeah. When you, and like, even when like he's born right at the very end of March, even when you look at like the players that kind of look identical to him that were born in that sort of that gray area March period. I mean, basically you're looking at Braden point, um, Zegris and Logan Couture are like the only three that come up that look exactly like that. And I think Jeremy Bracco is the other one. So out of those four, I mean, you've got like basically three straight stars essentially out of that. So I think he's kind of underrated because, yeah, I mean, all the rankings I've seen, he's kind of, I mean, the lowest is basically like in the, the mid 20s type thing. Um, I was, you know, I thought of maybe ranking him a bit higher too, but there was, just nobody out there really was talking about him as a top 10 pick or, right. or, you know, even really in the top 15. So I thought I'll kind of, you know, I'll, I'll put him here at 15 cause I'm really high on him, but there are some really good prospects in front of him, but yeah, he, he looks great. He has a great profile on the model. And like you said, he, you know, he has all that stuff going for him. He can skate, you know, he can shoot, he can pass, like he can do all these things that it's, you know, what's, what's, what's the deficit there. What's, what's right. wrong with him that he's ranked so low besides right. him being 
Yeah, and as we know, I believe Kirill Kaprizov, who just shattered basically every franchise record in the books, I think believe stands at 5'10", um, about 180 pounds, which is um, pretty much exactly what Howard is. Um, he's definitely a guy in my radar as well, Justin. Um, and the things I really like from kind of the little bit of film I was able to watch in him and just reading about him is his ability to be kind of creative with the puck. Um, and the thing that I really look for too is, is his ability to think the game, kind of think to where that next pass is going to go, finding that soft spot in the offensive zone. Um, you know, I think as we look at the future of the wild and, you know, a guy like Matt Zuccarello is probably, you know, probably had his best season he's ever going to have this year. Um, will probably start to decline. Um, and eventually Kirill Kaprizov's going to need another winger on that top line. Um, and I think to me, whether that ends up being a Matt Boldy, maybe it is Marco Rossi, maybe it's some free agent they bring in or a guy they trade for. Um, but to me, a guy like Isaac Howard, who has that IQ to find soft spots and, and get himself open for an elite passer like Kaprizov, that type of player is exciting to me in that sense, because he doesn't necessarily have to drive the line. He doesn't have to be the bonafide winger, just that person that can compliment a really skilled player. And to me, a lot of the, his, his best skills seem to be um, that of a very complimentary winger who can play with skilled players um, and a guy that has versatility um, to move up and down the lineup as well. Right. He's scored at pretty much every level he's been on. Just his numbers are insane. You know, it'll probably drop off a little bit the further he gets, but seeing some of the videos, like all I have is videos and, and what you guys put out, like hockey prospecting and late prospects to go off of. But some of the soft spots he finds and, and between him and Frank Nazar, just some of the plays they make was were fun to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, uh, the, uh, yeah, not, you know, kind of off topic, but be a good scoring boost uh, at UMD next season. So Absolutely. For sure. Uh, Zeke, I think we've, you know, we've kind of touched on, you know, some players Justin likes. Let's go into one mm-hmm. um, that you like, and then Byron will have you, uh, we'll have you take the reins after that to a guy maybe that you like. Okay, yeah, no, so, you know, for me, I, you know, this guy uh, is not, you did not have ranked in your top uh, 30, but I think, these are the names we had kind of sent over, but, uh, you know, kind of the, his name, Yuri Kulich, who's kind of a guy we've seen or seemingly kind of started to jump up in mock drafts and rankings uh, ever since he had the big U18 tournament with, you know, nine goals and 11 points, uh, you know, played this past year in the top Czech league where he had, you know, nine goals, 14 points in 49 games. And, you know, I've seen a lot of things that, uh, you know, he's got a great shot, kind of a, you know, does that mean his main asset is he's kind of a goal scorer. But uh, obviously, Byron, from your, uh, obviously your model does not have very high. Is that something, maybe the fact that he really kind of was out of nowhere this year? Or like, how does his, uh, yeah, I guess his production in, in the Czech uh, league over there kind of uh, project based off the other guys before? Yeah, so I mean, the production, like when you translate everything over, like the Czech is a really good league. Um, you know, it's probably just below the SHL, I would say, by about, I don't know, 10% or so. But I mean, the production is really low, even when you translate it over, the equivalency is, is very, very low. I think his equivalency is like 14 or 15 or mm-hmm. something like that. And you might not think, oh, that's not a big deal. Like he's playing, he's already playing like, in a pro league in Europe and that type of thing. But, you know, again, he's kind of one of these gray area guys. He's not like he's born like super, super late into the summer or anything. He's born, I think, in April. So not old, but he's not young. He's kind of right in the middle there. Um, and when you look at players that that even produce in like a pro Euro league and they're drafted in, say, like the first two rounds, I think I looked at, mm-hmm. you know, there's about 30 guys and – uh, just over half of them made the NHL and the ones that do make the NHL, they tend to make it in this very, 
you know, depth role with these replacement producers, I call them. So they're basically, you know, maybe they have some intangibles and they have some underlying analytics that drives the play and that type of thing. But the production, the raw point production that they have in the NHL is, you know, like basically 20, 30 points that you can essentially replace with any number of players, right? So um, he, you know, he's a bit of a, a, a risk for me, I guess, and to, especially as a first rounder, um, especially, you know, this draft at the top end, it has some really good, good looking players, you know, like good looking value yeah. that tend to, you know, make the NHL. And a lot of these guys tend to turn into stars and Kulich is not the type that really has that profile. So the big thing for me is, is, is what are you skipping out on, I guess, to take a player like that when the results, you know, looking specifically at, at pro Euro players that produce like that is, is kind of middling. Um, so yeah, he's a, he's a bit of a more of a risky one for me and in, in my model and my research and how I kind of look at it. Gotcha. Yeah. Zeke, he was a guy that was interesting to me as well. Um, and I think, you know, we kind of talked off the hop about, you know, with two picks, especially being so close together, maybe one pick, you take a swing on someone and maybe another pick, you maybe, maybe go for a little bit more of that safer pick. Um, and this guy feels like maybe that guy, you take a little bit of a swing on here. Um, or maybe he's just the guy that has that, you know, maybe it's just a lower floor, right? Like maybe he just ends up being kind of a bottom six guy. Um, but the things that I liked about him, um, Zeke, you touched, I know being, being kind of a goal scorer, being a shooter, um, being identified as a guy who could help the power play, which, as we know, this mm-hmm. wild team desperately needs um, something that can probably tick help that second unit in particular tick a little bit more. Um, so that was you know something that I really liked. And the other piece was his versatility to kind of play anywhere um, in the top nine in kind of any position, whether that's at center, whether that's at left wing, whether that's at right wing. Um, those are always players that have seemed to fit well in the wild system. Um, we've seen them you know move guys like Freddie Goudreau, Ryan Hartman, um, probably Marco Rossi this year. Um, we've seen Matt Boldy flip to both wings. We've seen Kevin Fiala moved on both wings. Like they like these guys that can kind of play anywhere in the lineup and kind of contribute in different areas. So that was the other piece, um, about him that I really liked. And then of course we know the emphasis that, um, Bill Guerin has put on character. Um, this is a guy who's worn a letter with international teams as well. Um, so the leadership and stuff is there, um, for him as well, which I think, you know, easily bumps him up a little bit on probably those lists as well. But, um, interesting to kind of hear how that, you know, that scoring profile, um, translates into your model, Byron, and um, you know maybe something that maybe gives me a little bit of pause as well. But um, curious to see what uh, happens with him. All right, we're moving right along. It's a, similar, it's a similar thing for Brad Lambert as well. Yeah, I mean he's got like very very low production again in the pro Euro league, and he actually fell back from where he was last year. So he's another one that, you know, three years ago he was kind of talked about in the realm of being a top one pick or a top two pick and he's really fallen back. So I'm, I'm curious if he even goes in, in the first round, uh, it could be like a natural ratty situation where he really That's drops the name I was back. just about yeah. to bring up as a comparison. Yeah. yeah. He's very similar to that. So, and he took a nice jump this year, but it still wasn't like game breaker jump. You know what I mean? So it was, it was a nice jump, but it wasn't that massive, massive jump. So yeah, I'm curious what happens there too. Yeah, he's a really interesting name because just looking at rankings, mock drafts, models, like wherever you look, he, he seems to fall in kind of a different spot um, on every list. I think I've seen him in mock drafts as high as like the eighth pick. I've seen him rank kind of in the teens, the 20s, you know, models like yours, much like we just talked about the Coolidge, maybe aren't as high because the production profile. 
Um, Zeke, this was a guy that you had identified as maybe someone you'd like the wild um, to look at. So maybe mm-hmm. just expand a little bit more on kind of what you've seen, what you like, and maybe why it might be mm-hmm. worth the wild taking a flyer on him. Yeah, well, I just think, uh, you know, from obviously from reading some of the scouting reports, it seems another one of his, uh, you know, assets is that he's skating uh, from reading a lot of places that, you know, he seems to be kind of a high-end skater, obviously with skill, as we just mentioned, you know, is at one point thought to be one of the, uh, you know, maybe top uh, processes class, but obviously, like Byron just explained, he, you know, hasn't really produced, you know, I just, I guess I thought, you know, a lot of things that uh, we've learned the past couple years, too, and from what, uh, you know, just seen been reported, it seems that the Wild value most compete in skating than a lot of their prospects. And, and obviously, I don't, I'm not an expert on it, but, uh, you know, I, it, just like the rest of the NHL seems to be going towards more of a, you know, that speed skating game like we see with, like, the Colorados and all that. Uh, obviously, you know, just different contexts. But I just thought that, uh, the, you know, with the high-end skating ability and, uh, you know, maybe a bit of a, sleeper potential again he's just he's a little bit like Kulich in that uh, for the fact for me that you know as you mentioned Brett earlier maybe a guy if you had a couple picks that you could take a risk on for that reason but sure all right Byron let's move to a guy maybe that you really like for the wild uh, maybe someone that could fall to them or just someone you think might be available kind of in that you know anywhere in that 15 to 25 range um, that would maybe be a really good fit for this team that maybe you like and that the model likes yeah, so there's there's three that kind of come to mind um, in that range, actually, because I think one of them is going to fall, and then the other two are kind of talked about more as, as I'd say, late first-round picks or second-round picks, but basically, Danila Yurov, uh, Gleb Trikazov, and Lane Hudson would be three players that I would be looking at with those two picks from the Wild. So, I mean, Yurov, you know, if you, if you look at him – Again, he's one of these Russians that's playing out there in Russia, and you don't know what's going to happen. But mm-hmm. he was playing in the KHL, and he, if you looked at his KHL production, you would say, oh, that's really low production. Like, he's, he's not going to look very good in a model like this. But what I do when I, when I, with my model is if those Euro players, because they, they tend to play in a bunch of different leagues, is kind of universally across the model, I'll take where they sort of showed best. So he actually played half his games in the MHL and then half his game in the KHL and the KHL, he's literally getting like one minute, two minute, three minutes a night type thing. So like the same thing happened with Murat Hussadinov this year time. as well. Yeah. So then, but in the MHL, like he has like really high production and the MHL is like, it's kind of like a, I think, I think a lot of people think it's a worse league than it is. Like they kind of think it's kind of like the, you know, like the AJHL or the BCHL, but it's actually like the OHL, like in terms of its equivalency and how it relates. But the players don't come over to the NHL right away. They go to the KHL first from it and kind of come over. And his production is like through the roof. Like he has like a profile like Nikita Kucherov and Matthew Kachuk and Alex Dabrinkat. Like that's what he looks like. There's not a lot of players that look like this that bust out, I would say. So, I mean, he has this very elite profile and he's, like I said, like, Typically, you'd probably be a top five pick or a top 10 pick, certainly. But he, he could fall past that. Like, he could legitimately fall to 19th. He could maybe even fall to that that second wild pick. So he's one that I'd be looking at for sure, especially with that 19th pick. And then maybe play it a bit safer, especially going with more of a, a North American option with the second pick. And then the next one is Gleb Trikazov. So another Russian. He basically strictly played out of the MHL this year. Really young. 
Uh, he's born, I think, in mid-August, so he's basically like a month away from being eligible for the 2023 draft. Good production in his pre-draft year, really good production in his draft year, and he's good size too. I think he kind of plays the wing and and center. So I mean, he's he has this profile of of a player that that certainly makes it and you know could turn into a star, especially because you know there's basically no no rush in him. Like he unless they're trying to get him out of Russia, but they'd probably stash him away in the AHL anyways if he's not signed or that type of thing. But you know, it's one of those things where he's going to go and he's going to develop for two or three years and then hopefully turn into something by the time, you know, he's ready for the wild. Like he could have like pretty substantial star potential to him. And then the last one is Lane Hudson out of the national development program. Uh, he basically looks like a Tchuk, like he has a very similar profile. He has that elite scoring in his pre-draft year and then also in his draft year. And he kind of, he really took off like a rocket in the second half of the season this year. It's kind of reminded me of the Seth Jarvis thing where he's kind of, you know, he looked like he'd be like a decent bet at the end of the first round, you know, mm-hmm. you know, when I was looking at him, say November, December. And then after that, he just shot up. Like he was just like producing like crazy. Um, and the big thing with him is, well, I guess not the big thing. He's, he's very, very small. He's, he's five, eight and like 140 pounds. If he was two inches taller, no question, he'd probably be a first-round pick. If he was four inches taller, he'd probably be a top-ten pick. So, I mean, he's extraordinarily small, and that's why he's going to drop. But, you know, he he has the profile of essentially a star defenseman. And if, if he turns into one, he'd basically be like the smallest star defenseman ever to go along with basically Jared Spurgeon. He's a little bit smaller than Jared Spurgeon, but, like – and Tory Krug, like that's kind of what you're looking at. There's only like three that are like that size that, you know, have, have turned into stars. Well, there's only two that have turned into stars, and then Lane Hudson could be the next. But, you know, I'd like to take take a swing on him somewhere around, you know, the, the late teens or into the 20s like that, like the, the, the wild picks. So I'd be curious if, if you know, they, they go after a pick like that. Um, with one of their picks or maybe they maybe into the second round too. Cause they have another picks pretty soon after that. That's three players I'd be looking at in that range for sure. That really pop model. And, and I think in a couple of years could be um, yeah, some Absolutely. pretty decent talents to add to the lineup. For sure. Sure. Just to backtrack briefly, Justin, I know you had um, Danila you're off kind of on your list. So uh, maybe to expand a little bit more on Byron's thought there, what do you really like about um, you're off, you know, kind of the political, um caveat aside right kind of from what i've watched and what i've read um you know his foot speed is maybe one of his greatest strengths mm-hmm. i like to see mm-hmm. some guys that are are fast like that and um four check is relentless shut down force as a winger high-end puck handling skills um, I, I see you have him ranked as fourth on your model but with what's going on you just you never know where he's gonna fall he's one of my two or th- i'd say three draft crushes so uh, the fact that you mentioned him is, is exciting to me because he's one of the players I've kind of had on my radar since starting to read everyone's scouting reports and stuff. So um, definitely a guy that I'd be happy with while drafting. Zeke, did you have anything to add on um, any of those three players that uh, Byron just put on? Uh, not much, but I think on uh, you know Lane Hudson, as you mentioned, uh, as Byron said, he's you know, 5'859 pounds. It seems... That, you know, I don't think, you know, they're going to shy away from guys if they're not big, but I guess I just don't, uh, you know, with maybe some whispers that the fact that the Wild, you know, they're kind of maybe going to focus on, 
maybe, you know, obviously you can't change your lineup to the draft right away, but on maybe beefing up their blue line and, and, you know, maybe getting a little bigger there, I guess I probably have a hard time seeing him maybe a bit pick, but, uh, you know, I guess you never know. Obviously, we, you know, I think, just like you said, uh, it's just a lot of those, you know, with the way the NHL works these days, those guys usually don't go very high, but, uh, yeah, no, I think uh, that, that could, uh, that's, you know, it's, I, like I said, I just don't think that would be a guy that they would maybe consider, but, you know, I guess we never know. I also that Trikazov, Trikazov? I think that I don't remember how you pronounce it, but he is one guy that I texted I over to you guys. Said I, I'm starting to, he's starting to grow on me, so I'm glad you brought him up too. Just I don't know much about him, but just from what I've read, he's starting to grow on me as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, I, mean, I hear like people, just people like talking about him on Twitter and stuff, like the Twitter scouts, and and <laughs> yeah, everybody just kind of raves about him, but he's still kind of ranked you know, maybe as, as kind of a, a deep, deep first rounder, but mm-hmm. you know, everything's kind of sounds great about him and he's got that really good profile. And I, I love the, the really young guys like that. And he's, you know, he's not small either. He's like six, one, six, two, you know, August born. Like I love those guys, those guys that have tons of runway where they can, you know, slowly just develop into something really special. And, and that could be him for sure. So, right. I think some of these teams could really reap benefits if these guys fall, like we've mentioned. It's just it's gonna be one of those drafts where those Russians fall and teams reap the benefits, teams that have multiple yeah. picks and can take a chance. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well we'll move next into a guy. Um Justin, you mentioned draft crushes. I think this is a guy that um I've quickly fallen for. Um, not just because he has arguably one of the best names of the draft, um, but it's mm-hmm. Rucker McGroarty, um, of the United States National Development Team program. Uh, he's six foot one, 205 pounds. Um, a guy that can play both center as well as the right wing. He has another left shot, which is why I love ample of, but that didn't really seem to slow him down this year. Um, probably long-term profiles a little bit more as a winger. Um, you know, but, a kind of a scoring winger, um, a guy who his biggest knock has been his skating. Um, but Justin, something you and I kind of talked about before we jumped on today was for me, um, having now been able to watch guys like Kirill Kaprizov, Matt Boldy, guys who, you know, for, by scouts were not because of their skating. I've watched their ability to work on their edges, to enter the zone with possession, to create space. Skating for the forward position to me isn't much as a red flag as it might be um, for defense, where I think the game is really becoming, you know, you have to be able to defend the rush on defense. Um, but for forwards, it's not something that concerns me. Um, what I really like about McGroarty is this is a guy that just likes to absolutely work his ass off every shift. He can shoot. Um, he, he, again, much like, you know, a guy like Coolidge, someone I feel like they could definitely kind of move anywhere throughout the top nine. Um, and just a guy that would just go out, put his head down and do whatever the coaches ask him. Another guy that's worn a C, um, has been a leader. Um, it just screams a Bill Guerin type pick to me. Um, Byron, I know he's pretty much right at that 19 ish range in your model. Um, most mock drafts have him kind of going right in that 15 to 20 range. Um, so to me, not only do I really like him, but it seems like a guy that could very realistically be there. Um, and a guy that I'd be ecstatic to see them uh, to see them grab. Yeah, no, he uh, he looks he looks really good too. He's there's like, there's four or five guys that are born like literally on March 30th, which is kind of funny because that's kind of like right on the line of like is he old or or, or young type thing, and it just happens to be like so many of them. I don't know what was going on like nine months previous to that, but. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, like he, he looks really good. The thing with him is he would basically look identical to a guy like Isaac Howard, but he didn't have quite the production in his pre-draft year as Howard. And 
you know, in the model, like basically both years matter. If you have really good production, like really elite 90th percentile production in your pre-draft year as well as your draft year, you tend to fare better than if you just kind of pop off a little bit in your draft year, but the pre-draft year isn't as strong. But when you go back and look at him, and I think Sam Stern, yeah, the Twitter scout there from New York, he kind of pointed me towards this is, I think he got COVID like last year, like right around February, I believe. And you can see he kind of takes two weeks off of hockey. And before that, his production was really, really good. It was right up there with Isaac Howard, like basically identical. And then he comes back from COVID and he's basically like a shell of himself. Like he can't do anything. The production like drops through the floor, um, like drops by, I think like 75%. And I always take the whole season and normally you know, it's not a global pandemic and a deadly illness that is right. impacting the player. Like, they maybe they get injured, or when the games get tougher, you see their production fall off, and it's a bad sign. But he, you know, he's a, he's a, a COVID example. So, yeah, like I, you know, taking that into consideration that if he probably didn't get COVID at that moment, he probably would have basically ended the season looking exactly like Howard. And now, you know, you got a guy that can play center, and, you know, he's a bit taller and goes into all these dirty areas and will kind of do everything. Like, he, he seems like a really good pick, too. He was another guy that I considered moving up the board a little bit. But, yeah, I really like him. Justin Zeke, anything to add on my boy, Rucker? You guys are kind of growing him on me. One of the more intelligent guys in the draft. He can play well off of defensively. Like you mentioned, the only knock really is the skating. But... Uh, in my mind, it would kind of be fun to have a couple of U.S. NTDP players drafted with, with our picks, like a Howard and McGordy or a Howard and a Nazar or something, and maybe bring that chemistry with them. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not much to add. Just He's been more on my radar since you mentioned him than, than uh, maybe previous. Zeke, anything to add? Yeah, no, nah, not much for me, no. All right. Is that good? Justin, let's move next into a guy that you and I um, both like quite a bit. Um, shares a first name with our beloved Marco Rossi, fellow countryman out in Austria, and that's Marco Casper. Um, another guy um, to me that feels like, you know, if there's a guy kind of that I've been looking at to you that feels like a bona fide for sure NHLer, um, it's Marco Casper. Six foot two, 187 pounds, a guy that scouts seem pretty confident will be able to play center. Um, and just kind of the more I've, I've looked into him, he just kind of reminds me of almost Jewel Erickson Eck, um, a guy who welcomes contact, likes to play physical. Um, he's been mocked in the top 10. He's fallen into the twenties and later in other mocks and rankings. Um, you know, he, he likes to be a pest. He's going to draw a ton of penalties. Um, and while I don't think like elite centerman is necessarily in his range of outcomes, um, I feel like he's a guy that's got a really high floor and at probably at the worst projects somewhere into the middle sixth and, um, and could really help kind of stabilize, you know, kind of that number three center spot for the wild and be a guy that, you know, if a Jewel Erickson ever goes down or maybe if a Greenway or Felino gets hurt or traded at some point, maybe a guy that could even slide to the wing and really thrive in kind of a physical forechecking, checking line type player as well. So, um, but also, again, has the skills, I think, to play with skilled players as well. So he's a guy I'm very interested in. Um, and would even be the type of player that if they look at moving up potentially, um, that would interest me in, in, in being taken if they move up. Yeah. I mean, he's, um, lost my train of thought for a second, but, uh, hockey prospecting, uh, Byron site has him ranked 25th. So right around that 
maybe being there for either 19 or 24 for us. I think my favorite thing, it was on the elite prospects guide. It said he plays violent and competitive hockey. Um, and it, it's not a mindless type of violence. It's something like winning puck races and the board battles and, you know, effective front net play. Um, his sense maybe not, maybe not ranked as high, but um, he's one of my top four or five players in this draft that I'd love to see the wild pick up. Yep, it seems, you know, obviously, I think it seems like he's probably going to be a top 10 pick from all the mock drafts, I think. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but um, I, like like Justin said, in your model, he's ranked 25th. Is he, you know, he had okay production in SHL. Is, I mean, from everything I've read, he seems to be kind of a, maybe another one of those, the fact that, he, you know, he plays center and he's maybe a bit of a little bit more of a high ceiling, you know, kind of, no, high floor, lower ceiling kind of guy. Is that consistent? Like, is that kind of what you see in your model that he's maybe doesn't have the uh you know the star potential that you know going that high could warrant really yeah yeah like that's that's exactly how i would see him like kind of mm-hmm. yeah like it's, you know he's, he's an agitator an aggressor you know teams love that type of thing probably doesn't turn into you know a star and most of them don't i mean only you only get six or seven stars out of it out of any given draft right so you know most of them aren't going to be that so he probably doesn't profile like that um i guess the only thing for me is i mean 19th that's i mean that's not too bad like that's that's a little bit further down there but um you know if he's at the point where you're drafting him like eighth or ninth overall or something like there's there's so much stuff on the table that you know you could be passing on somebody who has the look or some semblance that they could be like a, you know, 60, 70 point forward or like a 50 point defenseman or something, you could be passing on that to go for this, you know, this role, which, which maybe that's exactly what you're looking for. And, you know, yeah, he kind of, kind of is like a, a, the taller, like Brendan Gallagher to me, like, Mm -hmm. you know, is it too early to take a guy like that inside of the top 10? Like if he drops to 19, you know, at that point, it's it's not that big of a deal. I mean, almost at that point, like basically 50% of the players drafted for the rest of the first round basically don't even make the NHL. So then at that point, I mean, there's not many stars you're going to get at that point. So it, it makes more sense there, especially at 24. But, you know, it's it's just, I guess, to me, if he's legitimately in that top 10 conversation, it sounds like a lot of teams are just in love with this, this kid. Um, you know, what are, what are you leaving on the table on the other side to, to take a guy like this, like you say, who has a, a high floor, but maybe a lower ceiling. For sure. All right, Zeke, let's move into kind of the last guy on your board, and I'm probably going to butcher this last name, but I'm going to do my best. Um, Ivan Miroshenchenko. Um, <clears throat> why don't you talk a little bit more about him, what you like there? Well, yeah, no, I think this is kind of similar to, uh, you know, some of my other guys that have hot, you know, highlighted maybe, you know, once thought to be, you know, maybe a, a top talent, this, you know, in this draft, but obviously he had, you know, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, obviously this year, which uh, obviously would, uh, you know, affect anyone. But I mean, from what I've seen, it seems like he's doing okay in that regard. And, and obviously we hope for the best for him, but, you know, and again, another concern with the whole, you know, political situation in Russia with everything going on there. So, but, and, and I mean, obviously from looking at your uh, model, Byron, you have ranked 26, the, you know, I, I read through your rankings and it just, uh, you know, kind of what you, you said here was that, you know, he had 
kind of close to elite level production uh, his pre-draft year a year ago, but and obviously didn't really make the same jump here, which you could obviously, you know, like, like I mentioned, attribute maybe to, to his health situation and all that. But, uh, you know, he seems to be kind of another skill guy that maybe has something in there. But uh, is there a like, – how much do you – I guess based off your model, do you think that, uh, you know, maybe he's just kind of stalled or plateaued? Or, or do you think, you know, obviously with his health situation not playing, uh, uh, do, do you think that he – you know, is there something there and, you know, uh, maybe relatively close to what, uh, you know, a lot of people – kind of thought he would have been a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so his, his last year, like he had really good production. I think he was coming out of the MHL mm-hmm. and production that you'd basically see from essentially a top 10, top 15 pick. And then, like you said, this year he kind of plateaued. He basically stayed at the same level. He switched over to the VHL um, and then he didn't really get any better, any worse, but then news comes down in March about, uh, the Hodgkin's lymphoma diagnosis, which probably impacted him, um, mm-hmm. could have impacted him quite a bit. But, you know, the thing with these types of players is whether it's a health concern or, you know, um, they're injured or they're just not making the jumps that you're expecting. Like often these players, you know, before sort of the year gets started, they're talked about as like a top 10 pick or top 15 pick. And then they don't make that that big jump forward. But because of sort of your, um, you know, your, your, your framework you already have set up on him that, oh, this guy's, this guy's a top 10, top 15 pick, just like, you know, Lambert, right? Like he's been talked about as like a top three pick, but he has this like really, really low production, but people are still like, well, maybe we'll still take him in the top 10 because he was talked about as being top pick. So mm-hmm. this is kind of what you get with Mirshashenko. Um, um, you know, where you're not seeing that big jump and you, you saw it with, you know, like, like Nolan Patrick, when he's drafted in 2017, he's injured that year, but he, he has a really big pre-draft year, but then he doesn't jump up at all in his draft year. He kind of plateaus exactly where he was in his, in his pre-draft year. And then, you know, now looking back five years, it's like that, that pick really didn't work out at second overall. And so you might have this kind of effect with him, but you know, he's, he's dropping so far down and, you know, the Russian effect, like now he's gone from, you know, top 10, top 15 pick to he's probably going to be a late first rounder, maybe even a second rounder, at which point, you know, it might be worth taking a swing on him at that point, even though you saw the plateau and, and mm-hmm. you know, the significant health concerns and that type of thing at that point in the draft. I mean, once you get it, like I said, like once you get into the late part of the first round, less than 50% of those guys even make the NHL and become like full-time NHLers. Once you get into the second round, you know, 30% of those guys become NHLers. So, you know, he's, he's, he's going to be better value than a lot of the guys that are available at that point. But, you know, assuming because of the Russian situation and health and all that, that he's not in that category of a top 15 pick anymore. All right. Uh, well, let's get into kind of the final guy uh, that we at Sound of Hawkorn want to talk about. Um, perhaps one of the more exciting players available in this draft. Justin, he's a guy on your list, and that's Frank Nazar. Yeah, he might be my biggest draft day crush. It's between him, Yurov, and Howard. But uh, a, a player that's really caught my eye, kind of cuts through a neutral zone, makes defenders look like pylons, um, opens up ice for uh, linemates, line mates with the way he 
he plays smooth and precise puck handler um, can create shooting chances for himself with his intelligence. Uh, just a very good player. Uh, the rich get richer committed to university of Michigan um, kind of guy that's played on the line with Howard and uh, just his skating too is really kind of what caught my eye. Just, I, I think him and Naz- Nazar and Howard would be my ideal two picks if I had a choice, but uh, I see you have him ranked as uh, thir- 13. I've seen him ranked as far as five. I feel like he's a guy that would probably have to fall to us or trade up to get, but um, definitely a guy that, that uh, excites me. Yeah, no, he uh, he looks really good too. Like just like Howard, um, you know, he had essentially even a better pre-draft year, I guess, than Howard. Um, he's a little bit older, I believe, a couple months, I think, born in February or something. Um, the big thing with him is is he kind of did that that thing that I was talking about with Nurisha Shishenko, where he sort of plateaus, but he's at basically like a higher level, and then he kind of plateaus, and I mean it can be a bit of a bad sign. Like this is exactly what Nolan Patrick looked like, but Nolan Patrick was injured, but it was kind of like he hits this equivalency in the thirties and then he kind of stays there. Whereas, you know, if he shoots up another one and he goes up to something like in the forties, like then like the players that do that, like that's like, you know, going from like Sean Monahan, Kyle Connor, Nolan Patrick, Kaylor Yamamoto, like up to like, Matthew Kachuk, Stephen Stamkos, Taylor Hall type level, but he doesn't quite get there. And I, I think if he did get there, you know, he's probably more cemented as a, a top 10 pick, but yeah, I really like him. Um, he's got a great profile on the model and, you know, all the stuff about him, like he's fast and he's small and agile and, you know, he can just pick apart teams and, and all this stuff. Like um, he probably, like you said, doesn't make it to 19. He's probably going to go earlier than that. Um and yeah, it's interesting because like people are really high on him, but they're not as high on, on, on Howard. And I don't know if it's because he plays the center role or if there's something about uh, Nazar that's maybe there's more defensive responsibility that they just like him more, but they, they're kind of similar to me, but you know, one, one is thought of as possibly a top 10 pick and then the other one might not go in the first round. So I really like him too. Um, but yeah, I think he would be a great pick for the wild for sure. Yeah, Nazar was the other guy that was kind of on my radar. And what kind of gave me a little bit of hesitancy, as much as I love my my fast, short kings, um, I do wonder, especially if you know if teams seem to look at him as a center, and Byron, as you alluded to, perhaps maybe that's why he seems to be going higher, as he does play that center role, has that more defensive responsibility. Um, just we, We've heard the talk already about you know maybe why Kalen Addison was roadblocked this year and and could be going into this coming season is they don't like the fact that they have Jared Spurgeon, Matt Dumba, and then Kalen Addison, three defensemen, six-footer shorter, kind of on their blue line. Well, I certainly wouldn't think that they're going to want two sub-five-foot-10 centers as their top six centers. Um, perhaps if he's a guy they shift to the wing, maybe that alleviates some of that worry um, there as well. But I think aside from the size, there's a lot to like there. Um, in the the straight line speed that he has, um, you know, something not the Wild don't have a ton of in the system, kind of outside of who's Nadinov, um, who, you know, definitely is a guy that has a lot of speed there. 
Um, and also a guy that really likes to kind of make his living by attacking the high danger areas, which of course me being kind of the analytics guy of the group is something that always excites me and seeing guys that get to the middle of the ice, like to create those high danger scoring chances and, you know, and in turn create more quality scoring opportunities. Um, so definitely a guy I think would be worth taking a peek at as well. Um, depending on where specifically you project him into the lineup, whether that's at center or potentially on the wing as well. Zeke, anything else to add there? Yeah, no, no. I just, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, he's sorry been another guy that I've seen kind of mocked by a lot of in the athletic and, and on sports and other places a lot. To the wild seems to have, you know, a lot of the aside from the production seems to have a lot again the characteristics, you know, the, the skating repeat that they seem to like to look for in their prospects. So yeah, no, he's a, he's definitely one of our kind of favorites as you mentioned. All right, and Byron, we'll turn it back over to you here for maybe any kind of final thoughts or maybe any other players that we haven't hit on yet, um, maybe that you really like, maybe that you're higher on than consensus, maybe even that you're a little bit lower on in consensus. Um, floor is yours to kind of take over any of those conversations here. Um, yeah, no, I think, like I mentioned, like I think this draft is is at the top end especially, I think there's a lot of really good value, like a lot of – high star potential um more so than than other drafts you know i would say that it's it's probably not as strong as uh you know 2015 2016 2019 2020 but like it's probably on par with you know uh last year maybe 2018 type thing so i think i think there'll be like a decent amount of of, of really good good players that you know have really long careers that come out of this. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be a good draft to look back on in a couple of years and it'll be fun to sort of debate where all the players go. And, you know, there could be some that, that drop into the second or third round that sort of emerge as really, really big players. And yeah, the, the whole Russian thing, like I'm very curious how it goes in a couple of days from now for sure. Yeah, and I think you've talked a little bit about this on your Twitter account, but um, just to get it out there as well, perhaps one thing uh, maybe that opened the eyes of a lot of your followers was um, your ranking um, on your list of um, Jaraj Slavkovsky, who is you know a guy being widely talked about in most scouting circles as the potential 101 going to Montreal, um, fell all the way on your list down to uh, looks like 16th. Do you maybe just want to talk about him a little bit and maybe, maybe what some of your reservations are um, with his particular skill set in kind of comparison to uh, the consensus ranking, if you will. Yeah, so he's interesting, to say the least. <laughs> like, I'll say, like, I have no ill will against a player. I mean, if you post stuff on Twitter and people come after you, like, I'm... Why do you hate him? You know, sewering the guy or whatever, but I, I don't. Like, I, I find something interesting about it based on 30 years of history, and I put it out there and then, you know, see see what the reaction is and the reaction is you know people are very interested in it good or bad but yeah so the thing about him is you know he's a big huge winger out of the, the liga um still back in playing in the liga league and you know he, he could legitimately go first i still think it'll be right but there's discussions that maybe he sneaks into that first spot he's certainly going to go in the top three and when you look at his production and look how he looks in the model you know, again, he's one of these March 30th guys. He's like the fourth or fifth one that's in this in this top 32. Um, and he has this not bad but not great production that comes off of a really small game sample in the junior legal league because his actual production in the legal league is quite a bit uh, lower than that. And like I mentioned before, I always take where they showed best. 
So when you look at it, like he doesn't have the profile at all of a guy that goes first overall or top three or top five, or even normally top 10, um, you know, and, and when, when people are talking about him, you know, I haven't heard a lot of people that mention him in like a superstar type atmosphere. Like they talk about him, like his board play, now he can get to the front of that. And if he plays with, you know, really elite centers and wingers that he could be something. I kind of talk about him more like he's, you know, Nishushkin or Piyarvi, you know, kind of this version of Nishushkin that we're seeing now, which, you know, that's great. Like fantastic players, great underlying stats. Like they can drive the possession. They make all of their line mates better, but like, it's not a top three type pick. Like I always go back to that type of pick. You you take him at first, you take him at second. Like what else are you walking away from? I mean, maybe you get a good player that can kind of complement a small line of elite players like Jack Hughes and Jesper Bratt, that type of thing. But are you leaving like a, you know, a guy who has the potential to be like a 70 point player kind of on his own? just sitting there because you're taking him too early. Like even if you did a redraft of 2013 and 2016, looking at Nishushkin and PRV in hindsight, like, you know, seven and five years after whatever it is, like those guys still wouldn't go in the top three or even the top 10, like Nishushkin maybe slides into the top 10 now after what you're seeing, what he's doing with Colorado, but Mm -hmm. he probably still wouldn't be that high up there. So why, why is this guy sort of considered in the top five realm? And when you break it down, you look at players that look like that, like there's not many that are ever taken in the top five like that. Like I think the last ones were Benoit Pouliot and Andrew Ladd, who kind of had a similar look to him, which good players, but I mean, go back, they're not top five picks, right? So that's my reservation with it is he doesn't look the part at all of a guy that normally goes top three. You know, you look at right, he... He, he looks apart, even though he looks a bit funny because of the missed COVID year. He still looks apart. Cooley looks the part of of a top three pick. You know, Nemitz, you know, even Yurisek, a bit outside the top five. You know, you, they all look the part, but he, he doesn't really. He, he looks a lot different. So, I mean, there's a lot of risk there. I mean, you could be leaving something really massive on the table to take that and maybe – Maybe a team doesn't need that. Maybe like a team like New Jersey, it's the perfect fit. Like he just fits with Jack Hughes and and is able to create space for Jack Hughes and it's exactly what the team needs and turns them into a playoff team. But yeah, I guess I'm always just hesitant about what you could be leaving on the table by taking a player that maybe doesn't have that superstar potential, taking them way early, and then what you gave up on. Um, again, because this is a, a decent-looking draft and there's some really good – looking bets that historically, you know, when you look through the model, a lot of these guys hit as these big sort of offensive superstars. So are you missing out on one of those? So, Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of the, you know, the rise in him came from his international play too, or I think a lot of the scouts that maybe aren't as high as him, you know, maybe do have a more in that five to 10 range, um, you know, kind of pointed out that, you know, he was kind of being leaned on as the guy who was being put in this situation, like he was being put on power play one. He was, being given those offensive zone starts where in Liga he's kind of being used more as the middle six guy and didn't really thrive in that role so um, maybe kind of that boomer bust pick and I think you know you make a good point of you know if you're picking especially at a position like one or two it feels like maybe not the spot to to go and take a risk reward pick go take a known quantity but 
Um, well, definitely interesting to see one where he ends up. Does he go one? Does he go two? Does he fall? And then, of course, you know, where does how how does that career project out for Slavkowski? Does it project out how your model predicts, or does he maybe just find the perfect home where he's able to really hit on the boom? Yeah, yeah exactly. All right. Well, I think that more or less kind of covers our list, and uh, I know it's getting late here, Byron, so we want to let you get on your way. But before we uh, send you off, we'd just like to give the opportunity to kind of uh, let people know where they can kind of follow you and find your work and maybe give a little pitch for HockeyProspecting.com while you're at it. So the website, yeah, the website is HockeyProspecting.com, and it's a subscription-based website, so it's 25 bucks for the year, and then you get access to all these different tools that breaks down, you know, the players coming up in the draft as well as basically everybody drafted over the past 30 years. So there's like over 7,000 players in the database right now. And then you can, you know, there's different tools to break down um, like team drafting success and, and team prospect pool currently and that type of thing. Um, yeah. So that's the website, hockeyprospecting.com. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Byron M. Bader and I'll post different stuff about, players coming up in the draft and, and different sort of, you know, historical contexts about players or um, just situations. And yeah, follow me there and ask me any questions. Perfect. And we'll be yeah. sure to link all that stuff in the description as well as the tweet. Um, so it'll be right at your fingertips. Byron, thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening here to join us, talk about some of these guys, give us your thoughts and opinions. Um, we really appreciate someone who's able to to come in and give their thoughts and you know follows these things, maybe or not maybe, but for sure a lot closer than we're able to throughout the season. So thanks again, and we really appreciate coming on tonight. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you. All right, well, a big thanks again to Byron. Be sure to go check out all of his work. Um, for those that really haven't followed Byron or seen his work, um, his model is one that is awfully fond of the Minnesota Wild prospect system. Um, so we like to get him in and get his thoughts. Um, so there's a good chance if Byron likes a player, um, you should like him too. So um, he has a list out of his prospects that we, you know, his rankings that we reference throughout the show. Um, we'll attach that in the thread of the tweets. So you can easily find that. But be sure to look through that, comb through it, um, look at his research because he's obviously put um, – a lot of work into, into what he's done and was, was gracious enough to, to lend us uh, his time this evening and tell us a little bit more about some of these players that we're excited to maybe add to the Minnesota Wild organization. Um, but that more or less kind of wraps up our list here, I guess, Justin, you know, this is the episode you're really excited for. So, you know, is there any kind of final thoughts that you have after kind of bouncing some ideas and thoughts off each other here as we head into the draft here in less than 48 hours? Uh, not a whole lot. Just uh, freaking pumped now that this show's over. This I was so excited to have Byron on here. I've been following him for a while. Uh, between running the prospects page and just being on Twitter in general, um, uh, just yeah, getting his thoughts was amazing. And uh, maybe some guys that uh, maybe grew on me and maybe fell a little bit throughout the show. Um, I still think my top three is is still pretty set. But uh, you know, guys like Redker McGrory may have rose in my head a little bit, and uh, you know get that affinity for the short king with you <laughs> <laughs> Zeke any final thoughts from you yeah no just uh you know like kind of said earlier this time of year in the summer on the draft it's you know almost a little bit of a hope springs eternal kind of feeling or you know you just feel like anything's possible you know just especially with the wilds prospect system you just you know feel like lots of possibilities that uh, you know thought just obviously there's lots of excitement just around the whole event in general but just you know obviously you know just after the kind of disappointing end of last season it's a fun time just kind of uh 
you know, get excited uh, in, in these players that we do every year and just kind of, you know, uh, and just uh, and obviously for the players just to have their moment, uh, you know, dreams come true. It's always, uh, you know, it's always a fun thing to watch, especially with it uh, being back in person this year and being a little bit more normal in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. What I can't wait for is, you know, now that we talked about, I think if my count is correct, we, you know, kind of gave our thoughts into 11 different players. So what's really exciting mm-hmm. for me is when the Wild go out um, and do one of two things and don't pick any of the 11 players that we talked about or like package picks together and move up and, you know, take a player that we didn't talk about at all. Um, <laughs> well, they listen to our podcasts and take two of our favorites. Maybe they will. Perhaps they will. Maybe we'll have a, you know, maybe a Marco Rossi situation where uh, we'll be able to kind of lose our shit again um, yeah. <laughs> and be happy when they take um, a good player. But I think kind of what doing this exercise showed me is, you know, maybe I, I think is to maybe temper expectations a little bit for the players that they do get. Um, like, I don't think there was, a co- you know, a couple of players you talked about, mm-hmm. kind of namely the Russian players, you know, who kind of have a lot of volatility to them, both with the political climate, how soon they can get over here, all that good stuff. But kind of outside of those guys, I don't think there's like a real like bonafide top line forward that's going to be there, at least as it seems as of now, where the while they're picking, obviously anything can change and players can get better and, you know, kind of explode after their draft year. You know, almost like we saw Matt Boldy, who maybe seemed to kind of plateau a little bit struggled out of the gate at B at um at BU there and then or excuse me BC um and then you know really took off that second half looked like the player they drafted him to be so not ruling something like that out either but maybe mm-hmm. just temper the expectations slightly like I don't know that there's going to be a prospect that they draft that's going to immediately come in and kind of supersede any existing prospect as the best one in the system but I think regardless here we're looking at guys that could very easily kind of maybe move into the top three top five range um potentially here so I think that's kind of my Final thought um, here. So uh, hopefully uh, you guys are able to get something valuable out of this episode. Hopefully we talked about your favorite prospect. If we didn't, mm-hmm. um, feel free to uh, drop in our comments the player that you liked, a little brief scouting report. Happy to retweet that so the fans can see as well. We can put together a, uh, a Minnesota Wild fan list of, of players we're all high on. So um, with that, Justin, why don't you remind everybody where they can find you and all of your work? You can find me at the East 2004. 2004. You can find me at Caprice C with the Caprice of Countdown. And you can find me at MNW Prospects with MNW Young Guns. We've put out our list there. Uh, we got one more fun post we're going to put out on a couple of the admins' favorite picks and who we think we're going to pick at 1924 and who we wish. So uh, be sure to continue to follow that if you do. And thank you. All right. And Zeke, what about you? Yeah, no, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at Zeke Boyat, uh, capital Z, capital B, uh, for, for, you know, all I'm up to there. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at B underscore, sh- wow, B underscore Marsh 92. Don't even know my own handle. Uh, can't think straight here. Um, and you can also follow the podcast account as well at Sound the Foghorn, all one word, both on Twitter and Instagram. We had a lot of great content come at you last week, recapping the Fiala trade. Um, handing out the Sound the Foghorn Awards, which if you don't want to sit through that whole episode, um, we did post a thread about that today. That goes over all the winners. If you want full breakdowns, learn who was the runner-ups, our opinions, thoughts, go ahead and listen to that show as well. And then I believe we are targeting a Sunday evening show um, this weekend. We'll recap um, the entry draft and maybe dive a little bit into um, free agency as well, though I don't think that's an area of the wild. Maybe outside of goaltending will likely be huge players in 
um, but maybe mm-hmm. briefly touch on a couple options there, depending on how the Marc Andre Fleury saga um, plays out as well. So that's kind of what's on tap for us. Um, and then, of course, we have a big ep- collaboration episode coming not next week, but the following week potentially as well. So stay tuned for additional details there. Um, but the NHL entry draft first round is Thursday night. I believe it's seven o'clock um, Central Time start there. And then rounds two through seven um, on Friday. Um, your best coverage likely will be the prospects page. They'll have some stuff there, I'm sure, throughout the draft. Um, and I'm sure the three of us will be weighing in on the personal accounts as well. Um, and I myself will be joining the folks over at the Soda Pod. Um, they'll be doing a live stream during the draft with a bunch of wild Twitter personalities over there. So be sure to uh, to tune into that if you're looking for some live reaction as well. Um, but uh, that'll... Just so people know, sorry, to, no, before you wrap it up. The first round, so people don't miss it, 6 o'clock, Six East, o'clock. Uh, Central Time. 7 o'clock is the Eastern Time. So, so even better. It's coming to us an hour sooner. Yes. Um, so 6 o'clock. Yes. Um, but the Wild probably won't be on the clock till closer to 7, barring a trade. So right. we'll see what happens That's there. True. But always fun to watch, see what happens. So until Sunday night when we recap the draft, this has been another episode of Sound the Fire.